Hello and welcome back to the book club commune with me, your host, Ivy Parisi. Today we're getting into chapter two of Imperialism, the Highest Stage of Capital by Capitalism by Vladimir Lenin, The Banks and Their New Role, Chapter Two. Um, uh, no surprise, it's talking about banks and their new role in capitalism. Um, so yeah, uh, let's just let's just get right into it. Why not? Bam. Chapter 2. The Banks and Their New Role The principal and primary function of banks is to serve as an intermediary in the making of payments. In doing so, they transform inactive money capital into active capital, that is, into capital producing a profit. They collect all kinds of money revenues and place them at the disposal of the capitalist class. As banking develops and becomes concentrated in a small number of establishments, the banks become transformed. Instead of being modest intermediaries, they become powerful monopolies, having at their command almost the whole of the money capital of all the capitalists and small businessmen, and also a large part of the means of production and of the sources of raw materials of a given country, and of, the, and of a number of countries. The transformation of numerous intermediaries into a handful of monopolists represents one of the fundamental processes in the transformation of capitalism into capitalist imperialism. For this reason, we must first of all deal with the concentration of banking. In 1907-08, the combined deposits of the German joint stock banks, having a capital of more than a million marks, amounted to 7 billion marks, while in 1912-13, they amounted to 9.8 billion marks. Thus, in five years, their deposits increased by 40%. Of the 2.8 billion increase, 2.75 billion was divided among 57 banks, each having a capital of more than 10 million marks. The distribution of the deposits among big and small banks was as follows. It's a chart. The big banks got bigger. The smaller banks got smaller. The smaller banks are being squeezed out by the big banks. Hmm of which nine concentrate in their own hands almost half the total deposits. But we have left out of the account many important details. For instance, the transformation of numerous small banks practically into branches of big banks, etc. Of this, we shall speak later on. At the end of 1913, Schulze-Gevernitz est estimated the deposits in the nine big Berlin banks at 5.1 billion marks, out of a total of about 10 billion marks. Taking into account not only the deposits, but also the capital of these banks, this author wrote, quote, At the end of 1909, the nine big Berlin banks, together with their affiliated institutions, controlled 11,276,000,000 marks. That is about 83% of the total German bank capital. The Deutsche Bank, the Deutsche bank which, together with its affiliated banks, controls nearly 3 billion marks, represents parallel with the Prussian State Railway Administration, the biggest and also the most decentralized accumulation of capital in the old world." End quote. We have emphasized the reference to the affiliated banks, because this is one of the most important features of modern capitalist concentration. Large-scale enterprises, especially the banks, not only completely absorb small ones, but also join themselves to them, subordinate them, bring them into their own group or concern, 
to use the technical term, by having holdings in their capital, by purchasing or exchanging shares, by controlling them through a system of credits, etc., etc. Professor Leifman has written a volum voluminous book of about 500 pages describing modern holding and finance companies, unfortunately adding theoretical reflections of a very poor quality to what is frequently part what is frequently partly digested raw material. To what results this holding system leads in regard to concentration is best illustrated in the book written by the banker Reiser on the big German banks. But before examining this data, we will quote an example of the holding system. The Deutsche Bank Group is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, banking group. In order to trace the main threads which connect all the banks in this group, it is necessary to distinguish between holdings of the first, second, and third degree, or what amounts to the same thing between dependents of the lesser establishments of, on the Deutsche Bank in the first, second, and third degree. We then obtain the following picture. It's another chart, but essentially it, what the chart says is that, you know, um, you have the first degree where a bank outright, one bank outright owns a smaller bank. And then you have um, the next degree where um, that middle bank owns another bank. And then, but the original big bank that owns the middle bank, because it controls the middle bank, still controls the smallest bank in the chain. So even though that it's an indirect um, ownership, the big holding corporation, the big holding bank, still controls the finances of each bank down the chain, and the chain keeps going down to first, second, third, and even further degrees. And it gets more and more obscured at each level of separation from the big bank where that you can continue to hide this ownership super far down the chain. And we see this to this day. Anyways. Included in the eight banks dependent on the Deutsche Bank in the first degree, occasionally there are three foreign banks. One Austrian, one Weiner Bank Veren, and two Russian. The Siberian Central Bank and the Russian Bank for Foreign Trade. Altogether, the Deutsche Bank group comprises directly and indirectly, partially and totally, no less than 87 banks, and the capital, its own and the others which it controls, ranges between 2 and 3 billion marks. It is obvious that a bank which stands at the head of such a group, and which enters into agreement with half a dozen other banks only slightly smaller than itself for the purpose of conducting big and profitable operations, like floating state loans, is no longer a merely intermediary, but a combine of a handful of monopolies. The rapidity of which the concentration of banking proceeds in Germany at the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th century is shown by the following data, which we quote in an abbreviated form from Reiser. Um, this is a, a chart depicting six big Berlin banks um, from 1895 to 1911. Essentially, um, they dramatically increased how many branches dramatically increased the deposit banks and exchange offices, dramatically increased the constant holdings in German joint stock banks, and on the whole they go from 42 total establishments in 1895 to 450 by 1911. We see the rapidity of a close network of canals 
which cover the whole country, capitalizing all, centralizing all capital and all revenues, transforming thousands and thousands of scattered economic enterprises into a single national capitalist and then an international capitalist economic unit. The decentralization that Schulze gave her nits as an exponent of modern bourgeois, bourgeois political economy speaks of in the passage previously quoted really means the subordination of an increasing number of formerly relatively independent or rather strictly local economic units to a single center. In reality, it is centralization, the increase in the role, the importance, and the power of monopolist giants. In the old capitalist countries, this banking network is still more closed. In Great Britain, including Ireland, in 1910 there were 7,151 branches of banks. Four big banks had more than 400 of these branches each, from 447 to 689. Four had more than 200 branches each, and 11 more had 100 each. In France, the three most important banks, Credit Lyonnais, the Comportoire National des Compas de Paris, and the Société Générale, extended their operations and their network of branches in the following manner. Um, this is a very similar chart um, to the German one. Um, this one goes from 1870 to 1909. Um, it goes from in the provinces, uh, the number of branches and offices in the provinces and Paris in total. In total, they go from 64 in 1870 to 1,229 in 1909. And then the capital in million francs, they own 200 million francs of capital in 1870 to 887 in 1909. In loan capital, it's 427 million in 1870 to 4,367,000,000 francs in 1909. In just like a 40-year period. In order to show the connections of a big modern bank, Reiser gives the following figures of a number of letters dispatched and received by amounted to 300 million marks in 1914. Um, in 1857, yeah, it's just like letters received and letters dispatched. They go from 6,000 letters received and dispatched to 500,000 letters received and 600,000 letters dispatched in 1900. In 1875, the big Paris banks, Credit Lyonnais, had two 28,535 accounts. In 1912, 633,539. These simple figures show perhaps better than long explanation of how the concentration of capital and the growth of their turnover, turnover is radically changing the significance of the banks. Scattered capitalists are transformed into a single collective capitalist. When carrying the current accounts of a few capitalists, the banks, as it were, transact a purely technical and exclusively auxiliary operation. When, however, these operations grow to enormous dimensions, we find that a number of monopolists control all the operations, both commercial and industrial, of capitalist society. 
They can by means of their banking connections, by running the current accounts and transacting other financial operations, first ascertain exactly the position of the various capitalists, and then control them, influencing them by restricting or enlarging, facilitating or hindering their credits, and finally they can entirely determine their fate, determine their income, deprive them of capital, or on the other hand permit them to increase their capital rapidly and f to enormous proportions, etc. We have just mentioned the 300 million marks capital of Discounto Gesellschaft of Berlin. The increase of this capital of this bank to this high figure was one of the incidents in the struggle for the hegemony between the two biggest banks in Berlin, the Deutsche Bank and the Discounto. In 1870, the Deutsche Bank, a new enterprise, had a capital of only 15 million marks, and while that of the Discanto was of as much as 30 million marks. In 1908, the first had a capital of 200 million marks, while the second only had 170 million marks. In 1914, the Deutsche Bank increased its capital to 250 million, and the Discanto, by absorbing a very important bank, the Schallenhausen Bank of Verein, increased its capital to 300,000. And, of course, while this struggle for hegemony goes on, the two banks more and more frequently conclude agreements of an increasingly durable character with each other. This development of banking leads to specialists in the study of banking questions, who regard economic questions from a standpoint which does not in the least exceed the bounds of the most modern and cautious bourgeois reformism, to the following conclusions. The German Review, Die Bank, Commented, commenting on the increase of the capital of the Discanto to 300,000, Marx writes, quote, Other banks will follow its example, and in time, the 300 men who today govern German economically will gradually be reduced to 50, 25, or still fewer. It cannot be expected that this new move towards concentration will be confined to banking. The close relations that exist between certain banks naturally involve the bringing together of the manufacturing combines, which they patronize. One fine morning we shall wake up in surprise to see nothing but trusts before our eyes, and to find ourselves faced with the necessity of substituting state monopolies for private monopolies. However, we have nothing to reproach ourselves with except for having to allow things to follow their own course, slightly accelerated by the manipulations of stocks. A very good example, end quote, by the way. This is a very good example of the importance of the impotence of bourgeois journalism, which differs from bourgeois science, only that the latter is less sincere and strives to obscure essential things, to conceal the wood for the, by trees, to be surprised at the results of concentration, to reproach the government of capitalist Germany or capitalist society, ourselves, to fear that the introduction of stocks and shares might hasten concentration, as the German cartel specialist Tischgerschgewi fears, the American trusts and prefers the German cartels on the grounds that they do not like the trusts, hasten technological economic progress to an excessive degree. Is this not impotence? But facts remain facts. There are no trusts in Germany. There are only cartels. But Germany is governed not by more than 300 magnates, and a number of these is constantly diminishing. At all events, banks in all capitalist countries, no matter what the law in regard to them may be, accelerate the process of concentration of capital and the formation of monopolies. The banking system, Marx wrote half a century ago in Capital, 
presents indeed the form of universal bookkeeping and of distribution of means of production on a social scale, but only the form. The figures we have quoted on the development of bank capital and on the increase in the number of branches and offices of the biggest banks, the increase in the number of the, their accounts, etc., present a concrete picture of this universal bookkeeping of the whole capitalist class, and not only of the capitalists, for the banks collect, even though temporarily, all kinds of financial revenues of small businessmen, office clerks, and, a, and of a small upper stratum of the working class. It is universal distribution of means of production that, from the view, formal point of view, grows out of the development of modern banks, the most important of which, numbering from three to six in France and from six to eight in Germany, controlled billions and billions. In point of fact, however, the distribution of the means of production is by no means universal but private, i.e. it conforms to the interests of, of big capital and primarily of the big monopoly capital which operates in conditions in which the masses of the population live in want, in which the whole of development of agriculture hopelessly lags behind the development of industry, and within industry itself, the heavy industries exact tribute from all other branches of industry. The savings bank and post offices are beginning to compete with the banks in the matter of socializing cap capitalist economy, they are more decentralized, i.e. their influence extends to a greater degree, to a greater number of localities, to more remote places, to wider selections of the population. An American commission has collected the following data on the comparative growth of deposits in banks and savings banks. It has England, France, and Germany doing banks and saving banks, and for Germany also credit societies. On the whole, everything increases from 1880 to 1888 to 1908, every single metric increases. As they pay interest at the rate of 4% and 4.5% on deposits, the saving banks must seek profitable investments for their capital. They must deal in bills, mortgages, etc. Thus the boundaries between the banks and the saving banks become more and more obliterated. The Chambers of Commerce at Bochum and Erfurt for example, demand that savings banks be prohibited from engaging in purely banking businesses, such as discounting bills. They also demand the limitation of the banking operations of the post office. The banking magnates seem to be afraid of the st that the state monopoly will steal upon them from an unexpected quarter. It goes without saying, however, that this fear is no more than the expression, as it were, of the rivalry between two development managers in the same office, for on the one hand, Billions entrusted to the saving banks are actually controlled by these very same bank magnates, while on the other hand, state monopoly in capitalist society is nothing more than a means of increasing and guaranteeing the income of millionaires on the verge of bankruptcy in one branch of industry or another. The change from the old type of capitalism in which free competition predominated to the new capitalism in which monopoly reigns is expressed, among other things, by a decrease in the importance of the stock exchange. The German review, Die Bank, wrote, quote, For a long time now, the stock exchange has ceased to be the indispensable intermediary of circulation that it was formerly, when the banks were not yet able to place with their clients the greater part of their issues. Every bank is a stock exchange. In the bank, the bigger the bank, the more successful the concentration of banking is, the truer does this modern proverb become, end quote. 
While formerly in the 70s, the stock exchanges flushed with the exuberance of youth, a delicate allusion to the crash of 1873 and to the stock flotation scandals, opened the era of industrialization in Germany by utilizing the gambling chance that lies in stocks. Nowadays, the banks and industries are able to do it alone. The domination of our big banks over the stock exchange is nothing but an expression of the completely organized German industrial state. If the domain of the automatically functioning economic laws is thus restricted, and if the domain consciously regulated by the banks is considerably increased, the national economic uh, responsibility of a very small number of guiding heads is infinitely increased, writes Professor Schulze Gavernitz, an apologist of German imperialism, who is regarded as an authority by the imperialists of all countries, and who tries to gloss over the a detail viz that a conscious regulation of economic life by the banks is robbery by the public by a handful robbery of the public by a handful of completely organized monopolists for the task of the bourgeois professor is not to lay bare the me mechanisms of the financial system or to divulge all the machinations of the finance finance monopolists but rather to present them in a favorable light in the same way riser a still more authoritative economist, and a banker himself, makes shift with meaningless phrases in order to explain away undeniable facts. He says, quote, the stock market, the stock exchange is steadily losing the feature which is absolutely essential for commerce and industry as a whole, and for the circulation of securities in particular. That be of being an exact measuring rod, and an almost automatic regulator of the economic movements which converge on it. End quote. In other words, the old capitalism, the capitalism of free exchange, free competition, and its indispensable regulator, the stock exchange, are passing away. A new capitalism is succeeding it, which bears obvious features of something transitory, which is a mixture of free competition and monopoly. The question naturally arises, to what is this new transitory capitalism leading? But the bourgeois scholars are afraid to raise this question. Quote, 30 years ago, employers freely competing against one another performed nine-tenths of the economic work, which is outside of the sphere of manual labor. At the present time, nine-tenths of this economic brain work is performed by officials. Banking is in the forefront of this evolution, end quote. This admission by Schulze Gavernitz brings us once again to the question of what is this new capitalism, capitalism, in its imperialist stage, leading to. Among the few banks which, as a result of the process of concentration, remain at the head of all capitalist economy, there is naturally to observe an increasingly marked tendency towards monopolist agreements, towards a bank trust. In America, there are not nine, but two big banks, those of the billionaires of Rockefeller and Morgan, which control a capital of 11 billion marks. I need to take a quick note because it's actually really important. Um, when it talks about the two big banks of the billionaires Rockefeller and Morgan, it's important to note that those two banks have combined. You have J.P. Morgan, and the Rockefeller Bank was Chase Bank. So now you have J.P. Morgan Chase. They just merged together, and now they have the combined capital of both. It's fucking horrifying. Back to Lenin. In Germany, the absorption of Schulfhausen Bankwerden by the Discontisch Geschäft, to which we referred above, was commentary, commented on in the following terms 
by the Frankenfurter Zeitung, one of the organs of the stock exchange interests. Quote, the concentration movement of banks is of the banks is narrowing the circle of establishments from which it is possible to obtain large credits and consequentially is increasing the dependence of a large-scale industry upon a small number of banking groups. In a view of the internal links between industry and finance, the freedom of movement of manufacturing companies in need of bank capital is restricted. For this reason, a large-scale industry is watching the growing frustification of the banks with mixed feelings. Indeed, we have rep repeatedly seen the beginnings of a certain agreement between the individual big banking concerns, which aim at limiting competition." End quote. Again, the final word in the development of banks is monopoly. The close ties that exist between banks and industry are very close things that bring out most strikingly the new role of the banks. When a bank discounts a bill for an industrial firm, opens a current account for it, etc., these operations, taken separately, do not in the least diminish the independence of the industrial firm, and the bank plays no other part than of the modest intermediary. But when such organizations are multiplied and become continuous, when the bank collects in its own hands enormous amounts of capital, when the running of a current account for the firm in question enables the bank, and this is what happens, to become better informed of the economic position of the client, then the result is that, the in is that industrial capital becomes more completely dependent on the bank. Parallel to this process, there is being developed a very close personal union between the banks and the biggest industrial and commercial enterprises, the fusing of one with the other through the acquisition of shares, through the appointment of bank directors to the boards of industrial and commercial enterprises, and vice versa. The German economist Jidels has compiled very complete data on this form of concentration of capital and by enterprises. Six of the biggest Berlin banks were represented by their directors in 344 industrial companies and by their board members in 407 other companies. Altogether, they supervised a total of 751 companies. In 289 of these companies, they either had two of their representatives on each of the respective supervisory boards or held the posts of presidents. These industrial and commercial companies are engaged in the most varied branches of industry in insurance, transport, restaurants, theater, art industry, etc. On the other hand, there were on the supervisory boards of the six banks in 1910, 51 of the biggest manufacturers, among whom were the directors of Krupp, the powerful, of the powerful Hamburg America line, etc. From 1895 to 1910, each of these big banks participated in the share issues of several hundred, hundreds of industrial companies, the number ranging from 281 to 419. The personal union between banks and industry is completed by the personal union between both and the state. Quote, the seats on the supervisory board are freely offered to persons of title, also to ex-civil servants, who are able to do a great deal, deal to facilitate, add two exclamation points by Lenin, relations with the authorities, end quote. Generally speaking, there is a member of parliament or a Berlin city councillor on the supervisory board of a big bank. The building, so to speak, of a great capitalist monopoly is therefore going full steam ahead by all natural and supernatural ways. A sort of division of labor among some hundreds of kings of finance 
who now reign over modern capitalist society, is being systematically developed. Quote, a long quote, accompanying is a widening of the sphere of activity of certain uh, big industrialists sharing in the management of banks, etc., and together with the allocation of provincial managers to definite reg industrial regions, there is a growth of specialization among the directors of the great banks. Generally speaking, the specialization is only conceivable when banking is carried out on, on a large scale, and particularly when it has widespread connections with industry. This division of labor proceeds along two lines. On the one hand, the relations of industry as a whole are entrusted to one manager as his special function. On the other hand, each director assumes the supervision of several isolated enterprises or enterprises with allied interests or in the same branch of industry, sitting on their boards of directors. Capitalism has reached the stage of organization, organized control of individual enterprises. One specializes in German industry, Sometimes, even in West German industry alone, the West has the most industrialized parts of Germany. Others specialize in relations with foreign states and foreign industry, in information about personal data, in stock exchange questions, etc. Besides, each bank director is often assigned a special industry or locality where he has to say on a board of directors. One works mainly on the board of directors of electric companies, another in chemical brewing, or sugar beet industry, a third in several isolated undertakings, and at the same time in a non-industrial, non even insurance companies. It is certain that, in, certain that as the extent and diversification of the big bank's operations increase, the divisions of labor among their directors also spreads, with the object and result of lifting them somewhat out of pure banking and into making them better experts, better judges of the general problems of industry and the special problems of each branch of industry, thus making them more capable of action within the respective bank's industrial sphere of influence. The system is supplemented by the bank's endeavors to have elected to their own boards of directories or to those of subsidiary banks men who are experts in industrial affairs, such as industrialists, former officials, especially those formerly in railway service or in mining." End quote. We find the same system with only slight differences in French banking. For instance, one of the three largest French banks, the Credit Lyonnais, has organized a financial research service, Service d'études financières which permanently employs about 50 engineers, statisticians, economists, uh, lawyers, etc., at a cost of six or 700,000 francs per annum. The service is, in turn, divided into eight sections, of which one deals with industrial establishments, another general statistics, and a third railway and steam companies, a fourth in with securities, a fifth with financial reports, etc. The result is twofold. On the one hand, a fusion, or as N. Bukharin aptly calls it, the merging of banks and industrial capital. On the other hand, a transformation of banks into institutions of a truly universal character. On the question, we consider it important to quote the exact terms used by Jardels, who has best studied the subject. Quote, an examination of the sum total of industrial relationships reveals the universal character of the financial establishments 
working on behalf of industry. Unlike other kinds of banks, in, uh, contrary to the requirements often laid down in literature, according to which banks ought to specialize in one kind of business or in one branch of industry in order to maintain a firm footing. The big banks are striving to make their industrial connections as varied and far-reaching as possible, according to locality and branches of business, and are striving to do away with the inequalities in the local and business distribution resulting from the development of various enterprises. One tendency is to make the ties with industri industry general. The other tendency is to make those ties durable and close. In the six big banks, both of these tendencies are realized, not in full, but to a considerable extent, and to an equal degree." End quote. Quite often, industrial and commercial circles complain of the terrorism of the banks. We are not surprised, for the big banks command, as we will see in the following example. On November 19, 1901, one of the big bank, Berlin D-banks, such, such as the name given to the four big banks, whose name begin with the letter D, wrote to the board of directors of the German Central Northwest Cement Syndicate in the following terms. Quote, we learn from the notice you publish in Reichstanger of 18th instant that the next general meeting of your company, fixed for the 30th of this month, may decide on measures which are likely to affect changes in your undertakings, which we cannot sanction. We deeply regret that for these reasons we are obliged henceforth to withdraw the credit which you have which has been hitherto allowed to you. If the, say, if the said next general meeting does not decide upon measures we cannot sanction, and if we receive suitable guarantees on this matter from you in the future, we shall be quite willing to, to open negotiations with you on the opening of a new credit." End quote. As a matter of fact, this is small capital's old complaint about being oppressed by big capital, but in this case, it was a whole syndicate that fell into the category of small capital. The old struggle between big and small capital is being resumed on a new and higher stage of development. It stands to reason that undertakings, financed by big banks, handling, billi handling billions, can accelerate technical progress in a way that cannot possibly be compared with the past. The banks, for example, uh, set up special technical research societies, and only friendly industrial enterprises benefit from their work. To this category belongs the Electric Railway Research Association and the Central Bureau of Scientific and Technical Research. The directors of the big banks in themselves cannot fail to see that the new conditions of economic life are being created, but they are powerless in the face of these phenomena. Quote, Anyone who has watched in recent years the changes in the incumbents of directorships and seats on the board of directors of passing of the big banks cannot fail to have noticed that power is gradually passing into the hands of men who consider the active intervention of the big banks in the general development of production to be indispensable and of increasing importance. It often happens that between these new men and the old bank directors, disagreements of a business and personal nature often occur on the subject. The question that is in dispute is whether or not the banks, as credit institutions, will suffer from his intervention in industry, whether they are sacrificing tried principles and an assert of profit to engage in the field of activity which has nothing in common with their role as intermediaries in providing credit 
and which is leading the banks into a field where they are more than ever before exposed to the blind forces of trade fluctuations. This is the opinion of many of the older bank directors. While most of the young men consider active intervention in industry to be a necessity as great as that which gave rise simultaneously with the modern industry, with the big modern industry, to the big banks and modern industrial banking. The two parties to this discussion are agreed only on one point, and that is that as yet there are neither firm principles nor a concrete aim in the new activities of the big banks. End quote. The old form of capitalism has had its day. The new form represents a transition towards something. It is hopeless, of course, to seek for firm principles and for a concrete aim for the purpose of reconciling monopoly with free competition. The admission of the practical men has quite a different ring from official praises of the charms of organized capitalism sung by its apolog apologist, Schulze Gevernitz, Leifman, and similar theoreticians. At the precisely what period was the new activity of the big banks firmly established? Jardels gives us a fairly exact answer to this important question. Quote, the ties between the industrial enterprises with their new content, content and their new forms and the new organs, namely the big banks, which are organized on both a centralized and decentralized basis, were scarcely a characteristic economic phenomenon before 1890. In one sense, indeed, this initial date may be advanced to the year 1897, when the important mergers took place and when, for the first time, the new form of decentralized organization was introduced to suit the industrial policy of the banks. This starting point could perhaps be placed at an even later date, for it was only the crisis of 1900 that enormously accelerated and intensified the process of concentration of industry and banking, consolidated that process, and more than ever transformed the concentration with the connection with industry into the monopoly of the big banks and made this connection, taken individually, much closer and more active." End quote. Thus, the beginning of the 20th century marks the turning point at which the old capitalism gave way to the new, at which point the domination of capital in, the, in general made way for the domination of finance capital. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Book Club Commune. Next episode will be reading Chapter 3 finance capital and financial oligarchy that should be that should be interesting um yeah i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the book club commune please like and share this around um anyone you think needs to read imperialism or have access to it there's a lot of interesting foundational pieces to this that you know the examples may seem a little out of date but the concepts are very much not out of date and it's important to recognize that, you know, a lot of these things are still happening to this day. So it's very important to understand these, this work and subsequent works that build upon it. Because this is the, you have capital, and then you have imperialism, and then you have other works that are building off of it. Like uh, Neocolonialism by um, Kwame Nkrumah, you know, 
so many works just build off of this. It's very important to understand it and have it, you know, completely understood. And that's why we're here. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed the next episode. I hope you've always enjoyed the episodes. Who cares? Anyways, uh, solidarity forever. Keep on reading. All power to the people and all that jazz. See ya.